0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Any worshipers in the room today? Come on, anybody? In love with the presence of the Lord today. Come on, God, we bless your name. God, there's nobody like you. God, we thank you that worship prepares us to receive what you got to say. So God, we don't need a guest speaker today. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to speak into our lives today. God, I ask that you would take the generalities that I've got in my mind and you would make them specific to every single person. God, make the sermon prophetic in the name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, and all the worshipers said amen. Come on, all the believers, said amen. I want to encourage us around worship just a little bit before I get into the message. Uh, You can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever you feel like, okay? Uh, As long as you don't run up here and tackle me, we are good, okay? Uh, I'm black, okay? And so... uh, that's right. I'm black. Okay. Every day. Okay. And uh, I grew up at a church uh, where there was no ambiguity or confusion about whether or not you was preaching good or preaching bad. Grew up at a black church. Okay. Church mamas was sitting in this section of the church right over here. Uh, and if you was preaching bad, everybody say preaching bad. If you was preaching bad, that means your jokes aren't funny. Uh, that means you're taking text out of context. Church mama ain't never been a seminary, but she know when she hear heresy, you know what I'm saying? Uh, church mama will stand up in the middle of your sermon if it's boring if it's lame if the jokes ain't funny if you taking text out of context a church mama will stand up in the middle of your sermon and say help him Holy Ghost <laughs> so, but you're not even mad at the church mama at that point you like you know what I agree with you church mama I know this sermon's bad you know it's bad however if you are at a black church and you preaching good Oh, that means you are putting the text back in context. That means you, like a like a surgeon scalpel, you are helping people. You're doing surgery on people's life. If you are hearing from heaven, that means you spent enough time in your prayer closet before you got up in the pulpit. If you're preaching good at a black church, a black church mama that would have said, Help them, Holy Ghost, the week before will stand up and just look at you like something stank, okay? A black church mama will begin to say things like, Boy! Let's go say it again for the folks in the back. I need you. Okay, here we go. We all black today Okay, I don't know if you realize you was gonna be black by 11 a.m. On Sunday, but I need you to holler back at me today okay you can say whatever you want to say you can say amen you can say preach brother you can say whatever you want to say but i believe come on that a quiet church is a dead church and so uh we are alive and the word of god is alive and active and we want to receive it by being alive and active today. uh, This is one of the most diverse congregations I've gotten to preach to in a while, and so I love this church, okay? Uh, This is my second time here, and I honor your pastors, Pastor David and Nicole. I love you guys. I love you guys so much, and uh, what you're building here is incredible, and uh, the spirit of God in the place is tangible, um, and uh, I just love the culture of the house, and so I love you guys so much. Thanks for being friends to me, okay? Uh, you've been heroes to me and uh, for a long, long time. And uh, I've got a picture in my phone that I'll show you in the green room afterwards. I was a youth pastor in North Carolina, and I just decided to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee for a conference called Ruach Conference. And I had no speaking engagements, no Instagram following. Nobody knew who I was at the time. And I just so happened to ask David Binion to take a selfie with me. And this man hugged me just like he hugged me on stage today and loved me. And you had no idea who I was at the time. And um, this is a principle, you should be kind to everyone. You do not know who you're talking to. You never know who the person in front of you is. And so thank you for just being kind to me and for loving me. And I remember leaving that conference and going, that man is incredible. And, uh, and then I got to have lunch with you and preach at your church. And I'm glad that the Lord has kind of knit us together. And um, I'm really glad about that. You love your pastors? Come on. You love your pastors? I'm going to give you a thought that I had just during worship i'm getting to the sermon i promise i'm gonna get into the sermon um and 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 uh what time does church typically end what time does that happen okay when i'm done preaching okay here we're gonna be black today okay because the church i grew up at, (laughs) you just left when you left you know what i'm saying just had church till you had it all right Uh, so um i'm gonna get to the word i want to give you an idea that i had just while worship was was happening uh last year Uh, me and my wife we've been married for eight years we have a phenomenal relationship we get along great we're best friends uh is my a fantastic teammate and I think she's live streaming the service right now so shout out to you baby that's my girl her name is Tia we have a son named Theo and uh last year we got to go out of the country together and uh It's funny how after we we got out of the country, her mom flew to Texas and watched our son for 10 whole days while we went out of the country. Man, praise the Lord, okay? And I remember five, six days into the trip, I remember looking at her and saying, I've always loved you. I've loved you our whole marriage. I've loved you all year. Our love for one another is really strong, but there's something about getting away with you that rekindles our relationship because so much of our life is routine. And if we're not careful to not get away, then our whole life will become routine and romance is sucked dry when all you have is routine. Can I give you a word? Okay. I want to help you because fasting is the time where you break the routine of life and you get away with God and begin to vacation with him. And God begins to rekindle your fire. The moment you begin to get away with him, there are words that God can't speak any other time than when you put aside your plate, turn your plate down and begin to fast. And so I want God to break the threshold of your romance with him as you begin to go into these 21 days of prayer and fasting. Date night is great, but guess what? Date night ain't like a vacation. I need a vacation with God. I don't just need to come Sunday morning every single week. No, there's a special season That God sets aside for his people to get direction from him, to get vision from him, to get clarity from him, to get peace from him, to get joy from him. I declare that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, that God, you're going to multiply everything we need. You're going to take one day and you're going to make it better than a thousand. If you are a mathematician, you know a thousand days is almost three years. And uh, I believe every single time... I fast that god is going to give me three years of strategy and vision for my life One day is better than a thousand elsewhere that god you're going to make the value of 21 days with you So much so that it added exponentially to my life And so if you're someone who's never fasted, can I challenge you give god a try Give god a try if you're someone who has fasted guess what bring somebody along on the journey with you Look, look for somebody at Twelve Church who's never fasted or maybe intimidated by fasting and say, no, I'm going to hold you accountable. We can do this together. I'll give you tips. You're going to be my prayer partner for the next 21 days. Pour in to somebody who needs spiritual development, okay? Can, is that an encouragement? Is that an encouragement? Come on. Um, I'm going to preach from Luke chapter 8 today. So if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I'm actually going to preach chapter 7 of my book, Brainwashed. Uh, When I was here the last time, I think a bunch of us bought this book, Brainwashed. And so I hope it has blessed your life. Uh, I just came out with this book uh, just at the end of last year. And I'm going to preach chapter 7. There's uh, 9 chapters in the book. So you're going to get 1 chapter for free in church. And then after church, you're going to meet me in the lobby. You're going to buy a copy. I'm going to sign your book. OK, so you're going to get chapter seven for free and then you're going to pay for chapters one through six and then eight and nine. OK, uh, so uh, I'm going to preach chapter seven of, of this book, uh, because I believe that if you're going to go into 2023 uh, with 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 God's strategy, then that means you have to get your mind right. I wrote a book called Brainwashed because there's a lot of us uh, that God wants to bless you, but you still think like a victim. God wants to bless you, but you still think like the conquered, not a conqueror. God wants to enlarge your territory, but doubt is the thing that dominates your thought process in mark chapter 5 verse 28 brilliant words it says about the woman with the issue of blood that she thought to herself if i just touch his clothes i will be healed oh i want to focus on those three words because she thought can i help you today you can think your way into prosperity you can think your way into healing you can think your way into deliverance you can think your way into freedom you are thought away from breakthrough happening in your life and for a lot of us we've got a to- Begin to get a hold Of the way we think I'll give you just a little bit of my testimony And then we'll get into Luke Chapter 8 my father my biological Father took me to a crack house for the First time when I was five years old my dad Spent 18 years in prison my Mother was pregnant by the age of 12 Gave birth to my older sister when she was 13 Was pregnant again by 14 had My brother at 15 okay I lived In government housing my entire life All of my uncles are alcoholics two Of my aunts are prostitutes every single person in my family is dysfunctional but when I became a believer I began to believe that the DNA of God began to mark me not the DNA of my biological father and that the blood of Jesus started running through my veins not the blood of Manny Arango senior which means when you stand before God you cannot blame your mother you cannot blame your father God is gonna ask you what you did with the assignment that he placed on your life and you've got to get your mind Right if you're gonna break a generational curse off of you, you got to get your mind right if you're gonna break Depression off of your life. You got to get your mind right if you're gonna break anxiety off of your life at the end of the day I am NOT a statistic. I am NOT just what Manny Rango senior and Diana Rango said I was gonna be I am What God said I am and I can do what God says I can do and I Believe with all my power that you've got got to get your thinking right If anybody has an excuse to be a victim forever you're looking at that excuse on the stage right now I'm the first Arango to go to college I'm the first Arango with a master's degree By next year I'll be the first Arango with a doctorate I'm the first Arango in a healthy marriage I'm the first Arango to own property I'm the first Arango to have employees Hello I'm the first Arango to sign the front of checks Not the back of checks I'm the first Arango to have kids after marriage Not before I'm the first Arango to break generational curses Off my life Cause I got my mind free I'm not a victim Cause I got my mind free I don't act like my father I got my mind free. I don't act like all the other orangos because I got my mind free I don't fit in at the family reunion because I got my mind free. I am healed Set free and delivered because I got my mind free What good is it if you gave your life to God, but the enemy still has a hold on your mind So the way you think about your finances is secular the way you think about miracles is secular. And the way you think about fasting is secular. And the way you think about yourself is secular. What good is it to give God your life and to get a ticket to heaven, but the way you think about life is not godly and it's not biblical? And the enemy's ideas run rampant in your mind. We declare that 2023 is going to be the year that you have access to peace. We rebuke anxiety in the name of Jesus. Come on. This is the year that you live. We rebuke suicidal ideations in the name of Jesus. This is the year that you walk in joy because Jesus died for you to have joy. So we declare the spirit of the Lord is going to break every stronghold and give you joy. I need a good amen in God's house. That God's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you strategy. Wisdom. Wisdom. And strategy for the year. I wrote this book because although I'd broken all these generational curses by the age of 25, I still needed a therapist. Hello. Set <laughs> there with that therapist and began to unlearn all of the things that I didn't even realize my parents had taught me. Because I grew up in government housing because my mom was pregnant at twelve, poverty mentality was just instinctive to me. Yeah. I didn't know how to think outside of scarcity mentality. I'd find myself saying things like, That's a lot of money. When really a millionaire would look at that and go, That's not a lot of money. That's just called an investment. Yeah, yeah. Hello, uh-oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Feel a wall. All right. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> One time I was talking to somebody and somebody said to me, kids are expensive. And I said, who taught you that? Who taught you that kids are expensive? I'll tell you exactly who taught you kids are expensive. The enemy that don't want you to have kids taught you that kids are expensive. (laughs) The enemy who doesn't want you to multiply and be fruitful taught you that the kids are expensive. Kids are not expensive. Kids are an investment. Kids are an arrow. Kids are a weapon in your hand. Serena and Venus Williams' parents did not think that kids are expensive. Those kids have made them a whole lot of money. Michael Jordan's parents did not think kids are expensive. That man has made them a whole lot of money. Tiger Woods' parents did not think kids are expensive. Tiger has made them a whole lot of money. You can think kids are expensive all you want because that's how your mind operates. As soon as you change your mind, you begin to say, oh, this is an investment. I will feed you and clothe you and house you because I'm here to raise excellence." That's what I'm here to do. I'm not going to raise nobody mediocre. Why would I raise somebody mediocre when I could raise somebody who's excellent? I'm going to change my mind. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Okay, if you want to change your mind, get this book. The principles in this book have helped me to overcome all of the toxic thoughts that my parents taught me. That I instinctively learned and helped to wash my mind so that I, I could actually gain a kingdom perspective. And so if that's going to help you, go ahead, grab the book. I'll sign as many books as seriously. Last couple Sundays ago, I signed books at our church and I was signing books for about an hour and a half. So I'm an extrovert. I will hug you and take Take selfies (laughs) and sign your book um, because I want it. I want this message of brainwash to go around the world. I think this is helpful. Uh, So go to Luke chapter 8. Come on, let's go to Luke chapter 8. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. I'm so excited to be with you guys today. I'm going to ask a couple of questions of the text. I'm going to teach you a couple of lessons, and then we're going to wrap it all up, and it's going to be great, okay? Luke chapter 8. If there's a word that I don't say, I'm intentionally leaving it blank so that you can fill in the blank, okay? If there's a word... That I don't say I need you to say the word that I don't say because we're gonna read this together Okay, Luke chapter 8 and we're gonna go specifically to verse 22 I'm reading out of the new international version of the Bible the new international version of the Bible Luke chapter 8 verse 22 It says this one day. Jesus Well, that was about 18 of y'all. Come on. Let's go one day. Jesus That's important one day. Jesus Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's important that Jesus said something. He said something. He said to his disciples, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. I'm going to stop us right here and ask a pretty human question. All the Pharisees, you can leave, okay? But for all the rest of us who are real, is there anybody else besides me who gets annoyed that Jesus finds my storms as an opportune time to fall asleep? Anybody, anybody, can anybody just be frustrated with me for a moment? When life is going good, God is talking, he's awake, he's alert, okay? I can hear from heaven, my devotions is popping, but let a storm break out. And that is the point where Jesus decides, I'm going to go to sleep. Jesus, why are you sleeping when I need you the most? Is there anybody who's gone through some storms and you are frustrated because when everything was fine, God was talking I'd like to have it in reverse. God, go to sleep when times is good. <laughs> and be awake when I get into a storm. I need you when I get into a storm. Okay, here we go. we go. We going we go. deal with that, okay? Uh, As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying... We're going to drown. What do they say? Master, master. We're going to drown. I I split that up on purpose. I split that up between the first part of the statement and the second part of the statement. The first part of the statement is? Master, It's what they call Jesus. They refer to him as master. Not rabbi, not teacher, but master. But then they got the audacity after they've referred to him as master to then tell Jesus that he's not their master. wonder if I'm preaching any real people okay come on don't act like you ain't never been to worship service at dwell church called him master master for a whole 30 minutes then sat down to tithe and then your bills became your master don't act like you ain't never called him master master and then you sat down and your teenager who's far from God all of your worry and your stress is actually your master don't act like you've never paid lip service to God by calling him master but then the rest of your Actions fail to live up to the title of master Please let's not act like we cannot relate to the disciples who have enough religious experience to refer to him as master But then have the audacity and the nerve to tell Jesus we're going to drown Not we may drown Not it looks bad Not hey Jesus Context clues would dictate that drowning is a possibility. No. Nope. I want you to hear the assurance, the confidence, and the conviction that the disciples have. We're going to drown. We're going to drown. We're going to drown. Here we go. Can I teach you a principle? No one said yes. Come on, black people, let's go. (laughs) Can I teach your principle? Faith is not positive or negative. Faith is neutral. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Faith is a neutral force. What you put your faith in is going to determine whether faith is positive or negative in your life. We are going to drown. Do you hear their faith? They have faith that it's not going to work out. Yeah, they have faith that they are there. this is their last day. Right. But got the nerve to say master, master before they tell God. Right. Right. Wow. Master, master, the storm is actually our master. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Master, master, although I'm a finite human and I don't know what I'm talking about, I got the nerve to tell you what's about to happen. But I've been in church so long that I dare not refer to you as anything but master. Wow, yeah. Come on, let's keep on reading. Let's keep on reading. Oh, so we just reading the Bible. we just reading the Bible. Here we go. Master, master, we're going to? Drown. Jesus then got up and rebuked the wind. Okay, I have to ask another question here. And, 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 and Pastor Nicole, you're going to keep me accountable, okay? Because I got ADHD. <laughs> and I open all the tabs. On my web browser, okay? When my wife gets my laptop, she's like, how do you function? <laughs> Close some of these tabs, okay? So we're going to open up a tab, okay? We're about to open up a tab. Because this is, this is interesting, that Jesus rebukes the wind. Because you can only rebuke that which is in rebellion. My, my son is only two, so I'm about to give nobody no parenting tips. But one of the things that I have learned is that you cannot rebuke ignorance. You have to instruct ignorance and rebuke rebellion. You're only in rebellion if you're cognizant that you are doing something you should not be doing. So if you rebuke a child who's just in ignorance, then maybe you need to stop rebuking and start instructing. Because I can hold, only hold you accountable for that which I've instructed you. Okay. So this is confusing because Jesus, the wind is just winding. The water is just watering. The storm is storming. Nature is just acting like nature. Why are you rebuking the wind and the waves and the water when they are just doing what they do? We're going to open up that tab and we're going to close it by the end of the sermon. Okay, come on. Let's keep reading. we just reading the Bible. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Verse 25 where is your faith he asked his disciples in fear and amazement they asked one another who is this he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him god we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word in jesus name we pray amen Where is your faith? This is a very, very fascinating question that Jesus poses to the disciples. And it's very easy for us to misinterpret this question. The the, the common misinterpretation for this question is that Jesus is saying to the disciples, you don't have faith. The common misinterpretation is for us to assume that Jesus is attacking them for a lack of faith. But Jesus, who is very, very good at quantifying and measuring faith all throughout the Bible, to the centurion, he says, you got great faith. To someone else, he says, your faith made you well. To other people, I love this. This is like a backhanded compliment from Jesus. He says, you got little faith. And then his next verse says, but even the faith the size of a mustard seed. Can move a mountain Which is God's way of saying Yo faith is small But I guess it'll work (laughs) You know So God is very very good at measuring faith Jesus measures faith all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke and John Throughout the gospels he's measuring faith This is not a passage about the measurement of faith This is a passage about the misplacement of faith Jesus does not say you have little faith He says where is your faith Because faith is not positive or negative Faith is neutral And if I put it in the wrong place Then faith will always work It's just not going to work for me it's gonna work against me so his question is where is your faith if i walk up to you and i said where is your wife that means you have a if i say where are your keys that means you got some if i say where is your car that means you have a it's ridiculous to ask you where something is if you don't have it so i've got good news for you at the top of the year you have a whole lot of faith the problem is your faith has been in the government, not in Jesus. The problem is your faith has been in a political party, not in Jesus. The, f- the problem is your faith has been in your sorority, not in Jesus. The problem is your faith has been in your fraternity, not in Jesus. The problem is your faith has been in a man, not in Jesus. The problem is your faith has been in people, not in Jesus. The problem is that your faith has been in the stock market, not in Jesus. The problem is not that you have faith, it's that your faith is misplaced. So, the operative question here is not to ask you how much faith you have, but to ask you where is the location. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to step on some toes. Okay, okay, okay. We got a whole lot of millennials. I'm a millennial. You know what I'm saying? I can be the harshest on my generation because I'm one of us. And I'm a millennial. And we got a whole bunch of millennials leaving churches and deconstructing because the pastor cheated on his wife. And I'm not going to condone sin, but here's what I'm here to tell you. I'm not going to leave the church because no man's faithfulness to his bride got me saved in the first place. But it is Jesus' faithfulness to his bride that got me saved. Therefore, you can do what you want my happy hips gonna be in church I'm gonna be tithing and giving and worshiping because my faith was never in a preacher my faith is in God my faith is not in the anointing or the gift on any individual my faith is in God where is your faith Let the flower fade. Let the grass wither. The word of the Lord will remain forever. My faith is not in anything temporary. My faith is in what is eternal. My faith is in God's unchanging hand. My faith is in his word. My faith is in his character. My faith is in his nature. My faith is in his presence. I've got faith in something that anchors me deeper than just your gift or your anointing or your personality. Here we go. You don't even know that your faith is in the wrong place until there's a storm. The presence of a storm tests the integrity of what you've built. I've got uh, some older mentors in my life, and they said that have made millions of dollars on real estate. And they have always said, yeah, we go looking at real estate every time it rains. Oh, we go house hunting because I want to see the integrity of the roof. I want to see the integrity of the foundation of the house I want to go to the basement I want to know if it floods why because a sunny day any house looks good but a rainy day oh if a, rain, if a storm comes that is when I know my faith was in my wife uh oh my faith was in my pastor hello my trust can be in them my hope can be in them but my faith cannot be in a person because if my faith is in a person all the enemy has to do is cause that person to go left and now my faith has withered away my faith has got to be in something that is strong and solid and permanent and eternal where is your faith where is your faith Uh, this is important because we've now got to redefine three words Three words I want to help you redefine, and I redefine these words in chapter 7 of Brainwash. All of these ideas are in chapter 7. So here we go. We're going to redefine three words, and I'm going to throw you a couple curveballs, okay? Here we go. The first word that we got to redefine if we are going to answer the question of where their faith is. Yeah. We have to answer that question, where is their faith? And I promise, okay, about to open up another tab. Here we go. We will answer that question before the end of the message, okay? Here we go. we got to redefine three words. So... We have to shift our paradigms if we are going to answer the question properly for where their faith was. First uh, word that we have to redefine is this word. If you're taking notes, write this down. First word we have to redefine is anxiety. I want to give you a different way to see anxiety. Here we go. I hope you're ready. Anxiety is the proof that you are creative. You have never met a creative person until you have met somebody who's anxious. It ain't graphic design that makes you creative. It ain't videography that makes you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. An anxious person has gone into tomorrow, has imagined a scenario that has not happened, traveled back into today, and is living in the reality of the scenario that they imagined, which means you can't even be anxious without an imagination. Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to step on your toes. Which means you are using the imagination that God gave you to create a future that the enemy wants you to live in. Uh Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. You can't even be anxious without using your imagination. And your imagination belongs to God. So That means you're using God's property. To drive into tomorrow to paint the picture that the enemy wants you to paint for your tomorrow, which means if you're anxious, you have faith because faith is neutral. It is not positive or negative. And for so many of us, your anxiety is bringing the future doom and disaster and destruction that you imagined into your today. Because what faith does is faith moves out of the moment and into the future and it brings a reality into your today. And as long as you dwell with anxiety, you will always go into tomorrow and create disaster. So you worry today because of something you imagined. And guess what? For every blessed person in the room, you know what your faith has done? Your faith didn't go into tomorrow and bring doom and disaster. Your faith went into tomorrow and brought blessing and brought strategy and brought insight and brought hope. And you pulled that from tomorrow and you put it into today. And therefore, you're living in the reality that you thought for yourself. If you can be anxious, that is just proof that you can operate in faith. Here we go. I'm going to say something that may step on some toes. It's okay. You get a pedicure tomorrow. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Here we go. If there's any Italian folks in the room, don't be offended. Okay. But all Italian food is just the same stuff. (laughs) It's just the same stuff. uh, All Italian food is like five ingredients. Meat. Some type of pasta. Some sauce. Bread. And Cheese. That's all Italian food. Me and Tia, we went to Vegas and we went to this whole food court that was an Italian food court. It was called Eat yes. Eat Ali. Yes. And there was a station for lasagna. There was a station for spaghetti. And I began to look at the lasagna and look at the spaghetti. And go, this is the same stuff. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. Okay, these are the exact same ingredients. Yeah. I want to give you a tool. God gives you ingredients. Wow. Come on. You choose which meal you make your imagination your creativity your faith those are raw ingredients you can make the meal of anxiety if you want to or you can make the meal of faith you can make another meal you can use those same ingredients why not use that imagination that God has given you to imagine blessing and to imagine rain and to imagine God's outpour and to imagine that it's gonna be amazing if you're gonna take a round trip into tomorrow and come back go Go ahead into tomorrow and create a scenario that you would want to live in. Create a scenario that you would desire your family to be in. Go ahead and go into tomorrow, but create faith. Here we go. Can we redefine the second word? Second word we got to redefine is worry. Worry. Here we go. Worry is the proof that you can meditate. That's all that is. I told you I got ADHD. Some of y'all think this is funny. You know, my mom was a single mom uh, in the hood. So uh, we was, I remember in first grade, you know, my teacher looked at me and immediately discovered this child has ADHD. But my mom, single mom, black mom, you know what I'm saying? She was not having it. She went up to the school. My son does not have ADHD. How dare you label my boy? You just saying he got ADHD because he's black, you know, you know. And, and, and then I went to college and had to go back home and tell my mom. My first grade teacher was right. You know, I got it. I got it. I got it, mama. I, I got the ADHD. I got it bad. You know what I'm saying? I got it. I got it. I got it. Now, let me give you another tip for the parents, okay? Here we go. ADHD is not a problem. ADHD is only a problem for the teacher. It's not a problem for your kid. ADHD is your kid's superpower. ADHD is only a problem if you want to fit a square peg into a round hole. ADHD is only a problem. Here we go. If God had wanted me to be neurotypical He would have made me neurotypical, but I was not designed to 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 solve typical problems. I was designed to write books. I was designed to be creative I was designed to preach all over the world I was never designed to do what everybody else is doing I was not designed to go to school to train me to be an employee I'm a terrible employee, but guess what? I'm a phenomenal boss So at the end of the day my ADHD has never been a problem for me It's been a problem for the people who got to deal with me. Stop making your kids feel bad about the fact they got ADHD. You got ADHD? Be proud. Here's an ADHD t shirt. I'm gonna have my ADHD. Because it ain't a problem. So, you know, super spiritual people come up to me in church sometimes they're like, stop labeling yourself with ADHD. And I look at them and I say, so you heard the label and you assumed that it was a negative thing. The joke is on you, baby, because I put myself on the label because it's a positive thing. It's a great thing to be somebody who's not neurotypical. That means I'm not typical. That means I cause problems everywhere I go. You know what? The Bible says that the men of the city, they did turn the city upside down. God uses all kinds of crazy people who don't fit in. That label is only a problem for my first grade teacher. ADHD is only a problem for people who want your child to conform. I have no plans on conforming. Now, I've been on Adderall. I've been on Ritalin. I've been on all the ADHD medications, okay? Guess what works better than all... No, no, no. no. Yes, Jesus, but it's not my answer. (laughs) Guess what works better than every ADHD medication I've ever had? Worry. Oh, let me be worried about something. Oh, I will focus. <laughs> if I'm worried, uh, I will focus on the same thing from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. <laughs> oh, let me be worried. Worried, look, you can have a, you saying, you and your girlfriend, like, you know, two, two women out to, out to coffee, you talking to your girlfriend. Yo, your friend can be talking about, it. girl, and then it's happening, and I have that. let you be worried. You will pause her after 10 minutes. She's talking to you. because, Girl, I did not even hear nothing you said. I'm worried about my son, girl. He's on the weed, okay? I'm worried. My brain is somewhere else, okay? Because worry, worry means that your concentration muscle works. Concentration and meditation is a gift God gave you. So here's the question. Are you going to take those raw ingredients and use them to create the meal of worry? Or are you going to use those ingredients to memorize some scripture? Come on. This is so good. To meditate on his character? To worship. Here we go. Let me teach you a little something. If you can worry, you can worship. Why? I'm getting my doctorate, so you're about to get all this nerdy smoke. Okay? Here we go. The Bible says that God is an ever present help. In the time of trouble. Some translations say in the time of need. Okay. In ever. Come on, help me. In ever. Help in the time of trouble. Here we go. That word present. It means Uh, pre-sent. Okay, here we go. So God knew that you would have trouble in 2023. So because God is eternally present. He's present in the past. He's present in the present. He's present in the future. He's outside of time. He's not bound by time because he is present he pre-sends himself into your problem that you're gonna have in April of 2023 you're not in April of 2023 yet but your problem is there and God is there so that means when you get to April of 2023 you sense that God has been here and you realize that God is presiding over the issue therefore you can worship in the middle of a storm because you realize that before the problem ever got here God was a solution to this issue if I need provision he's jehovah jireh if i need joy he's the god that regulates all the hormones in my mind god was here and god has preset himself to deal with the very thing that is stressing me out the thing i'm losing sleep over he preset himself to be a solution before i ever got there So when I get to the moment of trouble, I have a decision to make. Am I going to discern the problem or am I going to discern his presence here in the problem? And if I can worry about the problem, then I can worship the God who's already a solution. The I am that I am is here. Here we go. Third word that we have to redefine. Are you learning something in church today? Is this helpful? It's helpful. I hope these are paradigm shifts. That you're shifting your paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want you to feel guilty that you struggle with anxiety. I want you to go, you know what? This is a gift. Right, right. Yeah. I have an imagination. Right. Right. Yes. I have an imagination. We, I've been in too many services where people get condemned for just having a human experience. No condemnation for having a human experience. Anxiety is real. Worry is real. The word of God gives us tools so that we can shift our paradigm. So that we can harness the power of our imagination and harness the power of our concentration. Here we go. Last word that we've got to redefine. Fear. Fear. Now this church ain't normal. It's a worshiping church. Okay, The presence of God is Strong. The presence of God was strong in this room today. Shout out to your pastors and your leaders for creating an environment where the presence of God is dominant. However, don't matter how awesome the church is. Two groups of people walked in here today. First group of people walked in here thinking to themselves, I don't want to sing too loud because, you know, I don't sound that good. You know, and I don't want nobody looking at me, and I'm not gonna raise my hands because I don't want to draw no attention to myself. You know, I you know I look cute, so you know I'm gonna try to stay cute. And and that's one group of people that walked in here today, and in every church today, okay. And there's a second group of people. Second group of people walked in and was like, I do not care. I do not care what you have to say about me. I will let this mascara run down my face. I will sweat this weave out, okay? Because I dare not come into God's presence. And fail to give him all of the praise and all of the adoration that is due his name Let me tell you a secret That first group is operating under the fear of man The second group is operating under the fear of God Which means fear is not a negative word or a positive word It's a neutral word And it is only important who you're afraid of The Bible said you're not even at wisdom until you got some fear in you. My father who struggled with a crack addiction his whole life. The reason he's an addict to this day is because he has no fear. He's not afraid of overdosing. He's not afraid of losing his family. He's not afraid of going broke. And because he has no fear, he has no self-control. Fear begins to create discipline in you. The fear of the Lord is a kind of discernment that says I know where this road is going to take me. I know because think about this. Here we go. This is. This is I pray this is helpful Adam and Eve they sin first then they hide because they're afraid Sin first then fear people who are saved are afraid first, which keeps you from sin You don't have fear after you have fear before You out on a date and you go you're gonna ruin my life. The Holy Ghost gives you discernment Tesla discernment like there's an accident four cars away so, we're just gonna break right now. Ain't nobody got Tesla anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> what good is discernment if you don't have self control? Yeah, so, yeah. so, you knew. Yeah. Come on. You knew that something negative was gonna happen, but you lacked the self control yeah, yeah. to make a U turn. Wow. I wanna help you. Fear. Fear is the acknowledgement that there's something stronger than me. So good. So good. If. Anxiety if the raw ingredient of anxiety is imagination and creativity and the raw ingredient of Worry is actually meditation and focus and concentration the raw ingredient of fear is humility wow. It takes humility to know That that drug is stronger than me yeah. and if I snort it inject it smoke if I do something it will ruin my life. It takes fear to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah. My father operates in pride, that's why he's been an addict his whole life. Wow. Wow. He always believes he can stop. Wow. But the Bible says, put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus. The moment I put confidence in the flesh, I'm operating in pride. Wow. The reason you cheated on your wife, uh-oh, is because you thought Come on. you thought you could just be around your secretary all the time and nothing was gonna pop off. Because you put confidence in your flesh. Fear is based on humility, and it says, yeah, no, 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 I'm weak If I allow this person to compliment me, and I never, uh uh-oh I can't be all that surprised when the fruit of attraction is growing When they've been sowing the seeds of compliments for the last nine months, hello Uh Uh-oh, I'm not, okay, y'all not trying to rock with me, okay, here we go You can tell your secretary, stop with the compliments. I get it. I lost some weight. I'm handsome. You like the beard. Okay, thank you. Handle the calendar. (laughs) I got a wife at home to compliment me, okay? Okay. Boundaries are important, and so many of us would rather be liked than establish boundaries. Which means you're operating under the fear of man. You're scared of how the secretary is going to respond. You're you're scared of being seen as rude. You're scared of rejection. You're scared of being confrontational because you're a people pleaser. (sighs) Which is the fear of man operating in you. Okay, here we go. Now we have to ask the question. Where was their faith? Now that our paradigm has shifted, here we go. Where was the disciples' faith? I'll tell you exactly where their faith was. Mm. It was in the storm. We're going to drown their faith is in a storm that they can see where should their faith have been. Here we go. It's right there in the verse. Jesus said, let us go over to the other side of the lake, which means Jesus's words is what got me in the boat in the first place. Along the journey a storm broke out the reason there's a storm is because the storm wants my faith the storm wants my attention the storm wants my allegiance and in the middle of the storm there's only one relevant question as you look the storm there's only one thing to ask the storm hey storm are you the other side of the lake no and therefore since you are not the other side of the lake I have more faith in what Jesus said than in all of the difficulty that you are trying to present to me so I'm gonna keep on moving to the other side of the lake This is the year that you stop getting stuck at the storm, but you finally make it to the other side of the lake. You are done making it to July and not getting none of your goals accomplished. No, God wants you to get to the destination that he has intended for you. You got to get to the other side of the lake. Stop being impressed with what the enemy's doing. Why are you so impressed by this storm, girl? That loan officer said I ain't never going. The loan. My faith is not in the loan officer. My faith is not in the in the spreadsheet. My faith is not in the budget. My faith. Doctors told me and my wife for years, you will never get pregnant. It will never happen. But my faith is not in the doctor. My faith is not in the degree that the doctor got from their fancy little school. My faith is in a physician that knows every cell in my body who's got the hairs on my head numbered. My faith is in a God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think or imagine. My faith is in God. Break the threshold of your faith. What is your faith in? Wow. And why have you been so impressed by the storm? This is good. You got so much to say about the storm. Who you see that storm? All right now? All right. <laughs> wow. They're not even impressed with Jesus until Jesus calms the storm. Who is this that he can even calm storms? Which only tells me that the storm was your master, not God. You're so impressed with the storm that you're not impressed with Jesus until he calms the storm. Which means your litmus test for impression is a storm. You are so storm oriented that God needs you to be him oriented. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. I am preaching, preaching. Here we go. Let me me get a little nerdy. In the Old Testament, the God, the idol, the lowercase g God, the idol that the Israelites were always drawn to worship is this God by the name of Baal. B-A-A-L. Some people pronounce it Baal. The correct pronunciation is Baal. So I helped you today. (laughs) Baal. Do you want to know what Baal is? He's the storm god. He's a storm god. In Greek mythology, his equivalent is Poseidon. The god of thunder and lightning and storms. And so for any Jewish person reading this passage, or for any Greco-Roman person reading this passage... In context they would have immediately saw that their faith was in Baal that their faith was in Poseidon that their faith was in a storm you are too safe for the enemy to show up with a pitchfork and some horns and ringing your doorbell talking about worship me but you know what the enemy does do is he causes storms in your life and before you know it you're worshipping the storm instead of worshipping Jesus you got your faith in the storm instead of your faith in Jesus you got your faith in the problem instead of your faith in the solution but we take divine authority Over your heart and your mind and your soul this year and we decide your worship will only be in Allegiance to what God has said. We are not gonna worship storms. I'm not impressed I'm not impressed All you got is infertility. That's all you got. Yeah, right All you got is bankruptcy. That's all you got devil Oh, Yeah, right. I'm not impressed I'm not impressed Done are my days of being impressed with what the enemy's doing against me. There's no storm that I'm going to give my attention to. I want you to name it in your mind right now. What storm have have you just given all your attention to? It's funny. There was a season in my life where I was broke. That season's over. Thank God. And in that season, I, I was a substitute teacher at a middle school. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. Terrible idea. There was this one kid, I won't say his name, there was one kid, so he's the, I mean, he was, he was, he was a, just a bad kid. Probably had ADHD. <laughs> and I mean, this kid, one day the kid kicked me in the shin. I mean, he's just a lot, he was a lot to deal with. And so after a couple of months, I had a conversation with his teacher like, yo, how did you deal with him? And she began to tell me, yeah, like, you know, he comes from a really bad house. Families, you know, here and there and all types of issues. And um, what I've realized is that he just wants attention. And so I, I starve him for attention, starve him for attention, and I only give him positive attention. And he doesn't act that way with me. And as soon as she said it, I went, how Many times have I given the enemy my attention. How many times have I given the storm my attention? The diagnosis, I've given it my attention. The mountain, I've given it my attention. The problem, I've just given it my attention. And if there's a decision that I want you to make at the top of the year, is you're going to say, the answer to the question of where my faith is. My faith is in what God said. Because, get this, here we go. We're going to close two tabs. Why does Jesus rebuke the storm? Because it's in rebellion. What has Satan wanted from the beginning of time? Worship. It's what got him kicked out of heaven. He wanted to receive glory instead of reflect glory. What does he say to Jesus when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted? If you would just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. So while does Satan get worship from you, he wraps himself up in a storm and he starts making things chaotic in your life. And you begin to worship the storm, which is why God has to rebuke it, not just calm it. respond some of us in the room it's like your separation anxiety is triggered when jesus goes to sleep in your boat yeah. i want to help you because we travel all around the all around the world actually this, it's a honor to be here this sunday but on average we do about 60 to 70 speaking engagements a year and sam who's probably dealing with books he's with me like 95 percent of the time And uh, that means when we fly into a town like San Diego or Nashville or Toronto, a random person I've never met picks me up from the airport. Happens every week. Let me tell you what I never do. When an intern or an assistant pastor or a youth pastor or an executive pastor, and I don't know their driving history, I don't know who they are, pick me up from the airport, I never fall asleep in their car. I get a seatbelt, and I focus. But let me land in Dallas, and one of our ministry partners picks me up from the airport. I immediately pop that seat back and go to sleep because I would never fall asleep in a vessel that I don't trust the person driving the vessel. The reason that Jesus can fall asleep in your boat is because he believes that you heard that we're going to the other side of the lake his, his, his nap in your vessel shouldn't make you angry, it should make you honored I'm honored that Jesus would trust me to navigate through this storm, I'm honored that Jesus trusts me enough to get into my boat and have the audacity to fall asleep while I'm getting him to the other side of the lake, no 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 I'm not aggravated that Jesus is sleeping i'm honored that he would fall asleep in my presence because that means he trusts me to navigate through this hardship to navigate through this difficulty i want to pray for you first if you're in the room and you're saying my faith has been in so many other." things. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I, I've placed my faith in God, but man, I've I've, been, I've put faith in my job. I got my faith in finances, and I got my faith in my last name or in my family. I got I got faith in so many things, and things have let me down. And I need to place my faith in one thing that is never. It is a firm foundation. If that's you today, I want you to wave at me. 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 And come on. There's a. That's almost everybody. Let's stand up all over the room. Come on. Let's stand up all over the room. You're saying I I gotta. I gotta get my faith out of stuff. And out of people. And to put my faith in God today. Come on. If that's you. Wave at me. I wanna pray. God we thank you right now. That the season of faith that your people have walked in at 12 church is about to be 2023 that lord god that you are starting their year off with a trajectory of faith god we thank you right now we uproot the faith that we've had in other things we take it back and we declare my faith is in god my faith is in god this is not built on dream on 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 gifts or on men No, no no i want to build this thing solid so that when the storm comes and the winds blow, I've got a firm foundation. Come on, God, I need to put my faith back in you. I need to repent. Come on, I need to change my mind. i got to put my faith back in you. I've got to put my faith back in you. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at Dwell. Dodd Church.